When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, yes. Welcome into another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network. I am your host, Tim McKernan, and we are in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios with this week's guest, presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, KMOV anchor, Courtney Bryant. And Courtney uh, falls under the umbrella of when we started the podcast at this point, approaching uh, a year ago, one of the people that I wanted to make sure I had on the show. And the reason is because I would tell you, as I tell Courtney over the course of uh, our conversation, um, that if I had to, uh, if, if all of our guests on the show were stocks, so to speak, uh, which of course is incredibly dehumanizing to all of these people who've been kind enough to come on the show, but I'm trying to make an analogy and perhaps I'm doing it incredibly poorly as would be par for the course. But if everybody was a stock, uh, I would buy up as much Courtney Bryant stock as I possibly could, because uh, unless my intuition for gauging talent in the broadcasting industry uh, is way off the mark, Courtney Bryant is going to be a superstar in this business. And this is, this is it's saying something coming from me, uh, not, of course, because of anything uh, that I have to do with it, but in the sense that I, uh, I left television, the very station Courtney, uh, works at now 13 years ago at this point, which is really weird to think about because I feel like it was a huge part of my life, but it was only five years. Uh, and it's been 13 years since I was there and I left television, uh, television news specifically because I'm like, yeah, it's going nowhere. And you know, you know, a handful of people will make money, but the rest of us have no leverage in negotiations because, if we say, well, we need a, you know, 15% raise, they'll look at us like we're crazy. And then they can go and hire one of the 200 other people who would die to move up to St. Louis because they're working in a smaller market. And they think that that is going to be the the way to get them on the fast track to, you know, New York, LA, uh, or, uh, a network. And, uh, and so they're willing to do whatever and then taking less money than you would be willing to take. So and the point is we, we rarely have leverage in television news. I actually feel like you have more leverage in radio because you can quantify the advertising dollars that each show or host brings to the table. So uh, you can do that in one sense with television news, but it's difficult to do it with local TV news unless a person leaves and you see ratings decrease and therefore ad dollars decrease or a person arrives and you see ratings increase and therefore ad dollars increase. And that's a, that's a science that, uh, that goes on in the sales departments around the country. But when it comes to Courtney, um, she's just, she is an absolute talent, uh, a person who I haven't seen on, in my opinion. Now I'm not watching local news very closely at all. Uh, but, uh, I haven't seen this kind of talent in the market and I don't know how long, I don't know if I ever have actually. And that's not, that's not to, to take a shot at anyone. It's just to, to give her the highest compliment. In doing what I did for a living for those five years at KMOV, um, I recall 
when I was at the University of Missouri Journalism School, and I think Courtney and I discussed this over the course of the conversation, if my memory serves, either we talked about it off air or on air, uh, but that news directors would, would say they know whether or not they would hire somebody within five seconds of watching their resume reel, uh, which is something we all put together, you know, with little clips of us anchoring, reporting, and then stories. That's what we did. Uh, and I would imagine still goes on now, except I was sending out VHS tapes and now they're just links online. And then the news directors can watch them that way. It's a hell of a lot more efficient. Uh, and so I was flipping around one night and uh, was sitting there with uh, my wife, Anna Marie, and just happened to go across KMOV and stayed on there for 10 seconds. And I looked at my wife and I said, I have no idea who this uh, lady is, but in just hearing her delivery, uh, she's a star. She's an absolute star. And, uh, and I, I stand by that now. It's probably been a year or two since I said that. And I got to tell you something. After this conversation, I'm even more all in. If there's a way to be more all in, I don't know how that is uh, possible. If all of your chips are out in the middle of the table, then to put more in, but it, it makes no difference. The point is I, I buy in even more now because now I'm aware of how intelligent she is. And also something that I think stood out to me most from the interview that you will hear is how idealistic she is. And I mean that in a complimentary way. I know sometimes people use that term kind of to be uh, condescending or somebody, you know, is too idealistic to realize how things really work. Considering that I think she is going to be a star in broadcasting uh, at the national, international, global level, um, it's encouraging to me that somebody who I think has some great ethics about the business is going to be in that position where they're going to be a star. Um, I don't think that Courtney lives and breathes to be a star. I think she does this because she loves it and has legitimate curiosity in what's going on with the world and also appreciation for what actually at one time was a craft and that is journalism. Uh, now, some people may scoff at that, and we certainly discuss what it's like to be a TV anchor in 2018 with the politically charged atmosphere that we exist in, but but also that she isn't interested in just going to a network and then suddenly her politics fit whatever agenda that network has. Um, and so that is encouraging for me because from my standpoint, whenever uh, her contract is up at KMOV, and this is nothing against KMOV, I worked there. My brother still works there. He's in sales there. I have a great affection for, for the place in general. It gave me the greatest opportunity of my life at 23 years old. But no disrespect to KMOV, Courtney Bryan is going to be moving on. Uh, at least I think so. I can't imagine I'm off on this whenever her contract's up because she's just got that kind of talent that could play wherever, uh, but in New York or Los Angeles and at a network if that's uh, an opportunity that she has. So it's, it's, it's a compliment to KMOV that they have uh, from, from my standpoint, the most talented anchor I've seen in the market, and I don't know how long, perhaps ever. And that's and that's why I'm so bullish on what is she what she is going to do. And then also wanted to make sure I got her in studio to have a conversation with her because I see this coming, and I don't think we're very far away from it. And I know Courtney, when I was saying this stuff to her, and I'm sure some of you listening who might not even know who she is or might just kind of know her on the periphery just because you see her pop up on your television, once I go, my God, I've never heard you talk about uh, somebody in television news like this, because I know you don't think real highly of television news. Well, that that should ideally uh, convey to you how highly I think of her ability, but also her intelligence, which 
you know, as we talk about over the course of, of our interview, I felt like at the University of Missouri Journalism School, a lot, I don't know about a lot, a healthy percentage of the people were in there because they just wanted to be on TV. And in a sense, I think that has poisoned he or she who is the gatekeeper of information on television because you don't necessarily have the most qualified people conveying either information or opinion. And so therefore, somebody who certainly would fall under the umbrella of being qualified because they are so intelligent, from my standpoint, idealistic. And I honestly, after sitting with Courtney for an hour, I have no idea what her politics are, and it doesn't matter to me one way or the other. Uh, but she's intelligent, and she's worked uh, two different times in Israel uh, to expand her horizons for her career. Uh, that it's that it's important that you have somebody in in the position of the anchor chair uh, who who is uh, intelligent, not just there because he or she has a certain appearance or he or she can appeal to a certain political party or a certain agenda. And perhaps I'm too idealistic to think that that could come to fruition once again, considering what's gone on over the last couple of decades. But I'm hopeful that it does, and I'm certain that when it does, if it does, uh, Courtney Bryant would be a great representative and will certainly be very proud that she was here in St. Louis and uh, that's really where her career took off. So Courtney Bryant, our guest, and uh, a great conversation with the KMOV anchor brought to you by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Uh, that is our guest this week. If you missed anything over the past few weeks, there have been some incredible ones. Uh, the entertain I, I'm telling you, the, the one with Rich Gould from the previous week uh, has people going, I mean, that's that's about as, as good as it's it's gotten with the podcast. I've had so many emails on that. And I think a lot of people don't know, uh, you know, aren't watching local news. I made reference to earlier, but uh, Rich is so entertaining. that So many people have really enjoyed that. Joe Buck, the week before, Jay Nixon, Bob McCullough, and uh, just this past week, Ryan Kelly telling his story of building his business, which if you are an entrepreneur or somebody who's considering becoming an entrepreneur, that should be like taught in a course, what Ryan talked about, and also his uh, commitment to charity. So there are past episodes, and they're evergreen. They're evergreen, so you can go back and listen to those. And uh, coming up, we have Mike Shannon. So uh, it has been a big series of weeks here on the Tim McKernan Show from the homeloanexpert.com studios. And you may have heard Ryan Kelly talk about it in his interview with me. Uh, you know, of course, he can save you money with a refi. Of course, if you are looking for a home, uh, he can get you in that home at the homeloanexpert.com. But one of the things that stood out to me, not only on the air, but off the air, when I'm talking with Ryan, is his commitment to charity. So I made reference to, he's climbing a mountain. It's the fourth annual climb for the kids. And listen, you know, I, first, I, I got to be honest with you, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that because I'm scared to death of it. And in Ryan's spot, you know, he could just cut a check and and that would be, and everybody go, thank you, Ryan, and not think anything of it. Well, he puts his actions behind his donations. And so he raises money and is climbing a mountain. And, oh, he's scared of heights too. And so from my standpoint, that gives you an illustration of the kind of person he is. And for my money... I want to do business with people who I think are quality people. Now, it doesn't mean that if somebody does charity that they're good or bad. 
but I've gotten to know Ryan here for years, and it tells you the kind of person he is. And he's he's not doing it for show. Like I said, if he just wanted to write a check and then put that on social media, people go, oh, what a great guy he is. He's climbing a mountain. He's climbing a mountain. He's scared of heights, and he's doing it for the fourth. This is the fourth annual climb for the kids. Uh, it's an illustration of the kind of person you'd be doing business with for what is most likely the largest investment in your family, and that is your home. Whether you want to buy a home or refinance, go online at thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly, our studio sponsor, is here on the Tim McKernan Show. So Courtney Bryant came in, uh, and she said to me, you know, we'd never met, uh, that, you know, I said, we'll probably go about an hour. Sometimes we go a little longer. Sometimes we go a little shorter. She goes, oh, well, we're going to go shorter. She goes, I, there's no way I can talk for an hour about myself. And I said, oh, we'll see. And then sure enough, we go for about an hour. And it, it for both of us, I think, uh, it flew by. And uh, and that's because her life is fast. She doesn't think her life's fascinating. Her life is fascinating. Growing up in Southern California, going to Pepperdine, uh, working in Israel two different times, uh, her start of a, her career, uh, and now working in St. Louis and what she aspires to do with her career. So Courtney Bryant, our guest this week on the Tim McKernan show, here she is from the homeloanexpert.com studios. Uh, well, I'm telling you for real, Nick and I were, we were saying this before you got here. Mm-hmm. I'm legitimately very excited about interviewing you. I really am. Really? I really, le- I'm truly am now in, in, in that chair, as I was just saying to you, Joe Buck sat there a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago, uh, former governor Jay Nixon a few weeks ago. Uh, we've had a few senators, Jack Danforth, Jim Talent in here, all kinds of athletes, Mike Matheny, John Mazalock, Isaac Bruce, whatever. But with you, I feel like over the next five years, you're going to be like global. That's what I think. Now, you're surprised. To hear, you're surprised. So I was curious where you are, yeah. if you knew where you were or if you are surprised to hear that. So you're looking at me surprised to hear that. Well, because you're in St. Louis saying that I'm going to leave St. Louis in five years. Right. I don't know how to take that. Well, it's a compliment. And it's not intended. <laughs> I know you got I understand it. Because as I was saying before right. we started, I was at KMOV, mm-hmm. but I'm from St. Louis. And all I wanted to do was get to St. Louis, which was, right. I guess, in hindsight, I suppose, kind of a maybe shooting too low with all mm-hmm. due respect, of course. It's my hometown. I feel like I can say it. And, and I just wanted to get here by the time I was 30. And I got here when I was 23. So I was like, oh, my God. But all I wanted to do I was stay it. here. Exactly. Yeah. And so then I remember a few people in TV came up like, wow, so you got to like get to New York by the time you're 30 now. And I'm like, I'm, I'm happy covering the Cardinals. That's all I want to do. And then right. I look back, I'm like, oh, but you're from L.A., which is mm-hmm. a great thing also, and are sick, talented, sick, talented. Thank you. For real. But you, you have to know that you're, you're kind of going, I'm surprised to hear you say this. But well, for real. you know, I appreciate it. Okay. I'm so flattered that you would say that. I really am saying, I was saying this to Nick because I, I was in the business. I left television intentionally uh, in 2005. I worked with- Good your, for you. Now, you're, now, how can you say <laughs> that when you're in the heart and you're going to be like- when it's, But but I worked with Steve mm-hmm. as he, when he was sports director and Doug, and, and I was the number three guy. I was the weekend guy. Uh, and I was there for five years. And I just was like, ah, I kind of see where this is going, at least for local sports. Yeah. And I had the radio thing going, and that was working. And I started up my own business, and that was working. So I left. So every time I see people, I went to the University of Missouri Journalism School, and you went to Pepperdine, mm-hmm. correct? Go Waves. Here they come. Uh, <laughs> much nicer vista, I believe, than Columbia. But uh, the the business, I usually see people going into it. And I'm like, okay, you're going to have to start in South Dakota. Where did you start? Mm-hmm. Bakersfield? Kind of got my start in Baker. I mean, my first 
traditional local news job was Bakersfield. Okay. Yes. But so, I dabbled in a few things. Oh, you, that. yeah, I was reading up. So, yeah, like, I had a really reporting? strange resume. I've done a lot of jobs. So, what were you? So, you went to Pepperdine. I went to Pepperdine. Was that communications or journalism? Uh, broadcast journalism okay. with a little bit of film and production. Okay. So, what were, you, what were you thinking at that time? Were you thinking, I want to be an anchor, or were you thinking, I wanted to get into. I never said I would anchor. That's the one thing I never thought I would do. Yeah, I guess you don't. I can't th- say I never thought I would do it, but I didn't get into it because I wanted to anchor. I actually wanted to be a newspaper reporter, which wow. sounds ridiculous wow. because, like, you know, people are getting laid off. It's horrible. Yeah. I mean, maybe but, like uh, if you're saying that like 20 years ago, like we had right. the print sequence at the University of Missouri, and even then they're like, "Hey, you got to get into digital." And right. That was like '98. So, so to be thinking what that way, whatever, six, seven years ago, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I just I was a writer. I love to write and. I had a high school journalism teacher who was like, "There's no way I'm letting you go into newspaper journalism." <laughs> and what was so what was the, what was him. the teacher's reason for this? He just he was a newspaper reporter and he got laid off and he went into teaching. All right, and that well, was like we... thirty years ago. Oh, so. <laughs> wow! So he really, really knew much yeah. less two thousand whatever oh, yeah. this was. So you're, you you love writing? That's a good that's a good yeah. start though. So I thought, okay, so you know, I love. There was just something about journalism writing that I particularly loved. And, and were I you doing thought, it in high school? Yeah. Okay, so you're doing it in high school, so you yeah, like that. Yeah, a little that. bit. All right. And so I thought, you know, when it came time to go to college, I thought, I'll just, I guess I'll just look at broadcast journalism, you know, and then the rest was history from there. So, so. Did, so were you looking at a variety of different schools when you were considering Pepperdine? So I was. I actually, uh, UCLA is my dad's alma mater, right. so I always thought I would go there, or my grandma went to USC, so I thought, okay, maybe you go to grandma's school you know, they're kind of rivals. Oh, so it's yeah. kind of like grandma versus right. dad. Like, where are you going to go? Now, is this on your, is this your dad's uh, mother who went to USC? Yes. Okay. So it's on yes. one side. At least we're not causing right. tension. All right. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I was between UCLA, USC, and I didn't go to either one. I, I actually never got to apply because I graduated unexpectedly. This what do you mean happen you graduated unexpectedly? How does that happen? I told you, my life is like really weird. Oh, so. I'm gonna, then I'm going to be firing all these questions right. at you. Because I looked, I tried to look up stuff on you. You know, and oh, an attempt to at preparation. I know, doesn't that sound awful? <laughs> like I called CIA it's, operatives, but it's I, like there I don't isn't like a whole lot. I talking about myself. So I don't, you know, I very rarely accept interviews. Oh, really? Wow, I'm honored. And you actually have listened to this, which stunned me. Yeah. You've listened. Why did you listen to this? What happened? Did somebody like put you and go, hey, you have to listen to this? What happened? You mean listen to your show? Yeah. Oh, because I just, you know, I was curious, you know, what the format was. Oh, you were going to grill right. me about something yeah, in particular. I grill any. At least I don't think so. I don't. I didn't plan to. No, I'm legitimately, <laughs> for real, I was flipping around, watch, and I hardly ever watch local news. I told mm-hmm. Sabar that when, when he was in here, uh, and Mike Bush has been in here, and uh, and we just happened to be flipping around, and I go, I don't know who she is. This was probably like a year and a half ago. I go, but she is going to kill this business, and I look at the business Obviously, I got out of it as far as the mm-hmm. television side goes because I just didn't feel like there was a there were there are a handful of people who can make a lot of money. And I look at it, I go, you're going to kill it. And it wasn't you're obviously an attractive woman. I hope that doesn't come off as creepy. But but the, 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 the compliment. <laughs> well, now it does. Since you said that. <laughs> but the, the point being, it's like whether you looked as you look or you mm-hmm. didn't, it's your talent. And then also in my reading up on what you've done in your career leading to St. Louis, it's not like you're just like a face who's reading off a prompter. There's some journalism right. and talent well, there. I appreciate that. That that's and so that's why I hope it comes off properly as a compliment. It as does. A po- okay, good, because that could come off the wrong way if you were yeah. uh, looking for it to come off the wrong way. Right. So that's my point: is that not only are you are you talented, but there's some journalism there, and so it's like you can pretty much call your shot. So that's how I view it. 
I don't know how you view it. And I realize you mm -hmm. probably can't say that because it might come off the wrong way. But that's how I view it. I just have a love for journalism. And I know it sounds like really cliche and cheesy, but it's just really not about me. So that's, I mean, I I fell into this business, so to speak. I didn't really go into it to be on TV. I didn't want to, you know, it's just, it's not about me. Mm -hmm. So I guess, you know, I had someone tell me, oh, you're kind of old school. No, Because you don't put mean? your opinion into the news or you don't put your... You know, you don't really insert yourself. I thought that's old school. You know, but, I, mean, does any, I get that on cable news, but on local right. news, who does, does? Does anybody really do that? I don't feel like that goes on in local news, right. at least yet. Maybe that'll change. There's some rumblings about potential purchases and corporations. Well, you that know, would social that. media is a whole different animal, too. So do you days. opine on social media? I try not to. Yeah, I, just, I, I think feel that's a like high risk play. You kind of have to be a purist when it comes to um, keeping your opinions separate from your work. And it's hard because we're people, we're humans. If you didn't have an opinion, you'd be like, what an amoeba. Yeah, right, right, right. You know? right yeah. I mean, you're a human. Hey, a robot. So, so, yeah, no, I don't blame you. And plus, it's risky in your position. At least I would think it's risky. Right. Because that, 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 that there have been issues with that in the past. So let me make sure I'm following this. So you're at Pepperdine, mm -hmm. broadcast journalism. You don't even apply, but you, you graduated unexpectedly. I don't, okay, so this I don't was get like I, was... I lost my hair unexpectedly. Right. You don't graduate unexpectedly. <laughs> so I'll give you the quick rundown. Okay. So I was homeschooled until okay. the eighth grade. All right. Uh, I'm one. I'm the youngest of four kids in my family. My parents, they're a little, you know, I don't know, hippie or something. They really? decided just to Is homeschool right? all of us. And, you know, it, it was an untraditional um, type of education, but I found that it actually made me a lot. I don't want to sound condescending towards anybody who went to pri private school, public school. You I know, there are a private lot of school. Paths. Now I'm going to have to now if they get right. Out of my... No, I'm sure I could have gotten a great education a different way, uh -huh. but you know, I hated being homeschooled. But looking back, I realized it just it gave me the freedom to explore. You know, if I was curious that week about dolphins, you know, I would just go read like 15 books on dolphins. Really? So yeah, it's a really uh, non-traditional route, and I. You know, I'm very careful to tell people that that's how I was schooled for the first why? like why eight that, grades why, of my why, life. Why is that like a is, that, is there a per, like a negative yeah, connotation with it? It just kind of sounds like I didn't learn anything. But I well, took if a all you did was read about dolphins, then I would agree with right, you. But you're saying right. that was a facet of the. <laughs> so you would have core, uh, and you know, and disclaimer: every homeschooler is different. So uh, just the way that I learned is, I was taught core subjects like math, English, science. And then from there, I was just allowed to follow my curiosity. So who was doing the teaching? Parents or did you have somebody? Did they Books, have somebody? pretty much. And, and so then your you parents have, just said, here's what the curriculum is? And right. Oh, really? And then okay. you'd have parents to sort of guide you in different directions if you need help. Um, there was also like a group that we would go to. So different homeschool parents will teach different homeschool oh, kids. Oh, really? Yeah, it's is like that a, how it usually works, or is that unique to where you uh, were growing up? A lot up? of people belong to homeschool groups. Okay. It's pretty common, but um, for me, I just read a lot of books. Yeah, and then I went to a public high school. But what then high they, school did you go to? Because where were you, where were you, where were you in Los Angeles? Yeah, uh, in Ventura County. Okay, so just north of Los Angeles, and um, when you go to a public high school and you've been homeschooled, they've got to figure out: okay, have you been learning? Uh, you know, what have you been learning? Pretty mm -hmm. much, they have no idea because there's no record. So, I mean, you keep records, sure. but they're not standardized. They're not, not standardized, that's right. Right. So you take a test. So when I took a test in the eighth grade, I placed at an 11th grade level into a public high school. 
So long story short, I graduated with extra credits because while I was homeschooled, I was taking community college classes. And it's a long story. While you were in grade school, you were taking community college classes? Yeah, from sixth grade. Wow. Yeah. It sounds crazy, but. Well, it sounds impressive, actually, it's... is what it sounds. If you're in, in sixth grade and you're taking college <laughs> courses. <laughs> it's, it's normal to me because everybody in my family did it. Wow. But that's, but as you recognize, I imagine that's not right. normal. And by the way, I can take no credit because my parents planned this all out. I had nothing. They to do mapped with it that. out for you to have a college mind at the age of right. twelve. Right. Wow. <laughs> I need to, I need to get them in what? here. That's what I need to talk to. Young minds are capable of a lot. Your your brain is a sponge. Mm-hmm. So you know, I mean, did I you don't, like it, or I, were you like, oh, this? I didn't love it. Yeah. No, I just went along with it. I was a good kid, I think. Yeah. So you did know. You, so was it weird as far as making friends? Because the, uh, did you all that your friends? That part go to? was difficult. Yeah. So. Here's what's ironic. Growing up, we didn't really have TV. Like, we had a TV, but we didn't watch, like, I didn't watch local news that much. Maybe I, I was only allowed to watch, Jim like, Hill. PBS. So I watched, uh, am I allowed to say Charlie Rose anymore? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he, I mean, 2018, you can't even say a guy's name. Gosh, it was. Poor Courtney. It's devastating. I mean, he was one of the people I looked He's up one of to. Like, and then that happens. Uh, and yeah. then you're like, I can't. You don't even right. you can say his name on a podcast. By the right. way, you can say whatever you want. Not that you're going to start dropping F-bombs in here. It doesn't seem like that's I your, would not that's do in your, that. That's not in your repertoire. I but just not. so you know, it's it's uncensored. Yeah. So you decide to go to Pepperdine. I did. Okay. And Only it, because it was the last school. So when I was in the 11th grade in high school, I realized one day I came to school and a high school counselor said, do you realize you only have one more semester's worth of classes? And you're in the 11th grade. At this point. I'm in 11th grade. Yeah. It's like November. Oh, wow. You know, normally your senior year, you start sending out applications right. like the beginning of the school year. Yeah. So it just caught me off guard. So I applied to Pepperdine because it was the only school left that hadn't passed. What a nice, what a nice thing that Pepperdine was the, 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 res, the last resort. What a I wonderful just think deal. it was Isn't that like be. on the cliffs of Malibu? Is, is it not? It is. Oh, my God. It overlooks the Pacific Ocean. Oh, my God. So it's all downhill from there. Yeah, that's about <laughs> as good as it gets. So do you still, like, at the University of Missouri, did you even look at, like, Missouri, Syracuse, Northwestern? Did you even... Did you I didn't even... look at any schools because... It was just I because mean, of the surprise graduation. Yeah. Okay, all right. And then so, six months later, I found myself, you know, graduated and headed to Pepperdine. At the age of what, 16 or 17, I, I was 16. Yeah, I was 16 when I graduated, and I was 16 when I started and. My birthday's a little bit later. It's October, so. Oh, so you're young. I, for, I was young for my class too. During my freshman year at Pepperdine. Okay, I turned 18 during my freshman year at Missouri, and I always okay. thought that was prodigy-like. But here I am. You were sitting considered next to, young. I was yeah. absolutely. But I. But at Missouri, you have to do undergrad to qualify to get into the journalism school after your freshman and sophomore year. Oh. At Pepperdine, did you just go right into it? Right. Okay, you go right into it. Right. And so, what are you doing for your major? Are you like on? Like at Missouri, they have the NBC affiliate in Columbia, and that's the university-owned station. So you're able to do live shots and anchor, and that's part of the curriculum. And so a lot right. of people figure out if they can sink or swim within the first 15 seconds, they're standing in front of camera with no prompter. Mm-hmm. What are you doing at Pepperdine to figure out if, if you can do it and want to do it? So Pepperdine has a local news station that's not it's not as cool as what Mizzou has. It's sort of like a... Like public access? Yes, yeah. public access. You're, you know, flipping the channels late yeah. at night. You're like, what is this horrible <laughs> newscast? <laughs> so that was us. Uh, Newswave 32. Uh-huh. So it's a whole uh, it's a whole set that got donated from KTLA, which is a local sure, station. And then I think they later got a new one from KCAL, which is a CBS affiliate. Right, right. Um, 
But it was great. I mean, I got the ability to do all the different jobs, camera operator. Um, I even worked on the switcher for a little while, you know, technical director. Oh, so directing. like director? Ah. Yeah, but I never did it as a job for the local news. It's, but it was just part it was of just the something, deal. I was just so curious to learn all the different aspects of TV and figure out where I wanted to That's fall. interesting. So you didn't, I mean, you, you go into Pepperdine not with the vision of becoming the next anchor or any, it sounds like. That was never no. it. At Missouri, our, the first year of journalism school, so junior year, mm-hmm. and I'm, it was, it's pretty much all out of state. Uh, in our in the broadcast sequence at that time, they asked, "Okay, who here?" And at the time, it was, "Who wants to be the next Katie Couric?" And, and nearly all of the females in the class raised their hand. And who wants to be the next? I think it was Matt Lauer because it was a Today Show centric. And uh, every, all the guys raised their mm-hmm. hand. I'm just like, I want to call Cardinal games. I guess I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> you know, that's all I wanted to do. Right. But everybody wanted to do that, and they had come from, in some cases, actually outside of the country to come to Missouri because of what it's considered as far as a journalism school goes. But that's what they wanted to do. And then right. for the first time, they stand in front of that camera. There's no prompter, and 75% freeze. And then they're like, oh, I'm going to either switch majors or you know, become a producer. Mm-hmm. That's what would wind up happening, which was kind of unfortunate because you're in a spot where you had taken your first two years of school to get into the journalism school yeah. and now you got to switch majors. So that's kind of a bad beat. Yeah. So when did you realize you enjoyed being in front of the camera and were good at it? You know, it sounds odd because this is like the furthest thing from what I wanted to do, but my freelance job that I worked throughout college is what really gave me a comfort level on camera. And, and what it was just, a freelance job? It was an entertainment reporting job. Entertainment reporting. What doing were you doing? Red, red carpets, carpets? And like press junkets and, uh, you know, interviewing stars and going to movie premieres and award shows. Well, that's not a bad gig when you're 19, 20 at all. It sounds fun. But you didn't like it? It's, I just felt that it lacked substance, you know. God bless you. That's a great answer. <laughs> that's a great answer. You know, but I'm so thankful for it. And actually the guy who hired me to do that, he's, going to officiate my wedding next year. Really? Yeah, they're like, uh, you know, really beloved people. Um, They just gave me my start in in TV. And even though it was really a different, it was a digital format, it was for web stuff and things like that. It just gave me a comfort level. And it gave me some confidence because I'm sitting there next to people who work for E! News or for, um, you know, The Hollywood Reporter. And I, you know, just kind of had to sit there and fake it like I was one of them. And Really, I was 19 years old. <laughs> <laughs> Petrified? Were right. you intimidated as can be? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, you've you've got to pretend like you're somebody. Right. And this is Hollywood, too, so everybody's doing it. Right. You know, everybody's faking, faking it or, faking you know, right trying it. to be somebody. And So you were interviewing, I saw there on, uh, on your bio, mm-hmm. interviewing Bradley Cooper, correct? Oh, yeah, that was interesting. Now, why yeah. was that interesting? What happened? Did something happen? I can't. I'm not uh-huh. sure I want to go on record with what happened. Oh, you know, I didn't even know this. Interview. I didn't even know this. I just saw that it was on there. Let's just say I wasn't supposed to be there. Okay. Now what? And I talked was... my way in. Okay. So I, I, I thought you were going to go down some road that he might have said something that was. Oh no, he okay. was perfectly. Okay. Okay. You know, that's what. That's where. That's where my mind. He was so went. pleasant. He's a great guy, and and it was great to get the. But you weren't supposed to be there. Well, what it does was it matter? Not what does it matter at this point? It doesn't matter. Yeah, you know, the person who let me in probably doesn't work there anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> you snuck in to interview Bradley yes. Cooper, so we know But, that. you know, that that taught me to have some some chutzpah. And, yeah, you, you got know, to do that in order to get a story. There. Okay, yes. so, so are you doing with this this entertainment stuff, are you going live at all? I was not live, And were you no. able to go live at Pepperdine? I was. Okay. Yeah. Now, and I'm talking about not prompter, right. like, sitting on the set. I'm talking about live reporting. Like, mm-hmm. you guys had that capability to 
you're out in the field right. and going live. Yeah, it was like a miniature TV okay, station. Okay, so they had the, you know, whatever the yeah. time, microwave or satellite or whatever. Okay, so you're doing that. And that, to me, the first time you do that in this business, and I realize this is kind of inside baseball for those listening, but that's a defining moment from my oh, standpoint. Yeah. Because either you can do that or you can't. And I don't. Right. I think you can get better at it, but either you can look in that, and it's pointing to Nick's camera for those of you who <laughs> have no idea what I'm talking about. Nick's camera here. Uh, and and talk and talk with inflection mm-hmm. and your facial movements and like it's a conversation or you can't. And if you can't, I just don't know if that ever really is going to change the point that you're hireable in a market where you can truly make money. You want to know my first live shot? Yes. What was yours? Because mine was Harlem Globetrotters doing tricks. And you'll never forget it. Yeah, of course not. You'll never forget. That's yeah. an awesome first live shot. <laughs> hey, it, was, it was magical. As you can imagine, I'm doing tricks like a clown. That's oh what God. I was doing. So already setting the tone for my career. Wow. What was yours? <laughs> mine, mine was a baby bear in a tree. Uh, it was like Anchorman. <laughs> <laughs> it was a baby bear that was running loose through a neighborhood, and, and you and you got the story. I got so the there's story. A, so there's a bear in a tree, and you're live. <laughs> right. I'm Courtney Bryant outside the house. There's a tree up there. That's what was yeah. going on for the Pepperdine news station. But later, actually, this was in Bakersfield because okay. I never got to be a field reporter at ah, Pepperdine. All right, but uh, actually, my first live shot was in Bakersfield. My first traditional local news job, and. Yeah, and turns out two years later they went out and shot the bear. So, really? Yeah, he got out again, and they said we're not going to enough let of this... this bear. We yeah. can't handle handle it anymore. Yeah. So, so how did the live shot go? It it's, was an, okay. it's a pretty odd live shot. Obviously, it's not your standard. Right. I'm standing in front of this. You know, it's it was bear okay. It was, uh, you know, it's definitely the adrenaline rush that you get the first time, and mm-hmm. um, you know, it wasn't bad. I'll give myself credit. Yeah, because if it, it, was, not if it bad. was bad, it probably would have not worked out. You right. wouldn't be here and so on and so forth. What about anchoring? I assume you were anchoring in Bakersfield. Yeah. So, uh, gosh, first time I anchored in Bakersfield was because someone got pregnant and, uh, I was supposed to be filling in for the weekend gal. And then she was filling in for the, the pregnant, pregnant anchor. gal during okay. the Monday through Fridays. And then, um, long story short, we switched, so then I became the fill-in for the main gal, and then they kind of left me there. So that was so a big— So it must have been pretty good. You must have done pretty well, obviously. They liked me. Sure. And so, you know, that was a big opportunity for me. When you when you were leaving Pepperdine, you know, and when I was leaving uh, the University of Missouri, you sent out VHS tapes. Right. I mean, and it was $3.25, and we're all broke. <laughs> and it's like, oh, God, another $15 with these five tapes right. that just went out. Uh, were you sending out, was it sending out links it of your DVDs, real? Oh, it was DVDs. It, yeah. Really? I'm surprised. I figured everything's like links online. You yeah. Know? I mean, I feel like at that point you probably could have sent a link, but some people would have preferred a DVD. Yeah. So it was a DVD at first and, were and you then sending it pretty quickly became links. I didn't really know. I went after school. I went back to Israel. I'd gotten this job working on a documentary. And... Well, you can't. You can't and then, and on this podcast, nobody's oh, ever said, right. you know, I just go back to Israel. That doesn't, yeah, that you're doesn't, right. So hold on well, a second. I told that you, you had, had a non-traditional been, Right. That means I and missed I've had something. A lot of weird on jobs. your bio, I knew that you went to, that you were in Israel working, right. which again illustrates there's some journalism and some knowledge right. and not just somebody reading off a prompter. So in order to go back to Israel, you had to be there in the first place. When were you in Israel? <laughs> okay. okay. So I think where we left off, I was doing red carpets and interviewing celebrities. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. that was during school. That was okay. During Pepperdine. And then um, I got to participate in this really cool program. It's sponsored by this group called the Glazer Institute. And their whole goal is just basically to get young people to travel to um, 
to Israel and learn about, you know, kind of Jewish studies and, and also learn about the conflict, mm -hmm. Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And, and so you do that by working in internships. And um, a lot of cool things, you know, public policy, not everybody in it is in journalism. In fact, I think I was the first person they had who wanted to study journalism in, in Jerusalem is where I ended up. You're you, in Jerusalem? Yeah, okay. you're either in Tel Aviv or Jerusalem, and there's two houses. So it's kind of a college, you know, it's yeah. a little bit of a study abroad, but it's also like a work internship So you've program. graduated from Pepperdine at this point? No, I was a junior. It was summer after my, summer before my senior okay. year. Okay, all right. So I end up going, I work for this uh, this station called the Israel Broadcasting Authority. It's sort of like PBS. They had, um, in one building, a high-rise building, you had six floors that were the Hebrew news, and all their broadcasts are in Hebrew. And you had one half of a floor that is the Arabic news department, so all their newscasts are in Arabic. And then you have one office that is the English news department. <laughs> that's so where you were. That's right. where I was Boom. working. Okay. And it was fascinating. It was like walking into a time warp where everything is 25, probably 30 years behind yeah. in terms of technology. They were working on beta cam tapes, which you and I know are extremely oh, outdated. Yeah. You know, that's. I mean, where would you place that? I don't like even 1980 know where you yeah, yeah, 80s, for real. If not late 70s, but yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that was cool for me because now I can relate when people complain about, you know, tape-to-tape -tape editing. Oh, and, yeah. oh, we have it so good these days right. with, you know, digital systems and everything. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so yeah, I would actually, I was an intern, but I would file reports for their evening newscasts. And, uh, and actually... One day, the tape operator was sick, and I had to operate the tape decks, which is the most nerve-wracking experience so of my operate life. you had to operate 1980s equipment in Jerusalem yes. in order to get the newscast on the air. And when you get it wrong, the director is screaming at you in Hebrew or Arabic, which you just don't understand. So it, it, was, it was quite the experience. <laughs> did you pick up any Hebrew or Arabic? I did. You, did you? Yeah. Like enough to get by or... You remember just certain the phrases. basics. Yeah. yeah, certain phrases. So what was it like living there? It was interesting. Did you have um, friends or were you just kind of on your own? I had the other people in the program. Yeah. So I was with three other roommates and it was interesting. There are a lot of Americans who live there. So, you know, you can get by not yeah. speaking the language. And um, I really appreciated being in a building, though, where you had... You had all of these people coexisting in a place where people don't really get along, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's you had, what I was wondering about. So you have, right. what, the six floors of the Hebrew broadcast right. and the one floor of so the So you Arabic? had Jewish people, uh, Muslims, you had Christians all working together and did it ever in get... a place where people don't live together. Exactly. They don't work together. So how did that know? work? Was there was there ever tension because of people? It worked beautifully, as wow. far as I could tell. Yeah. It was great. And, you know, I, I was not disallowed from spending time with another um, department. Mm-hmm. Of the organization, even though I worked for the English news, I would go, hey, let me see what they're doing on the Arabic news tonight. Even though I couldn't understand the language, right. I could still see what they were doing. And you kind of watch the video and see what stories they're doing. And that was a great experience. That'll that'll really stay with me for the rest of my life. Were you ever in the field during any kind of troubles, so to speak? Uh, trouble? With? No. I, I remember the big story that was going on at the time was this. They called it the Gaza Flotilla. So it was basically a big um, boat that was just out in the sea, and they were going to bring medicine, food. Um, in their words, they were bringing aid to the Palestinians who they felt were being, you know, 
not properly cared for. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were going to float to the West Bank and and kind of like serve these people. So Israel didn't like that. So that was right. kind of a little bit of tension, tension over there, that. Yeah. So that was the big story this summer. And also the Syrian uprising was starting. So that's starting while you're over there. Oh, right. Wow. Yeah. So there was a lot going was that, on. Was it but... scary ever? No, or is that just because I'm like, oh, people, I, I picture that. I'm like, oh, you can't go, you know. This I thing. actually felt safer living there. Let me be careful the way I say this. I was, I was wondering where you were going with this. And I'm like, oh, this might be the first time we ever edit in the podcast. Well, <laughs> at the time, I was living where? In L.A., I guess. Okay. So I'll, I'll say that I felt safer living there than in than L.A. L.A. Okay, yeah. I'm following you and where you're going and what right. you're doing. I totally follow that. So is there, are there areas there where you don't want to go? Oh, definitely. Okay. Yeah. But if you're staying in the circles where you belong, you feel safe. Okay. And and most and so people who areas? have been like there or lived there Bank? will tell you that. If you go into the West Bank and you don't speak the language, you know, you don't belong there for a particular reason, you might not feel so safe. Mm-hmm. But I'd been to Ramallah and I felt pretty safe there. I went to areas where, you know, it's mostly the, you know, like East Jerusalem is, that's an area you'll see a little bit in the news when people have uprisings mm-hmm. and things like that. That can be a little bit of a hot spot. I've been there and it wasn't. I didn't feel unsafe, uh-huh. you know, but I was pretty cautious because I was told stay in these areas, stay out of these areas. Yeah, you know? so you knew. But for the most part, you see people with guns everywhere. You have Israeli Defense Force soldiers, people who are, by the way, like 18, 19 years old because it's mandated service. So uh, they're doing that as young people and they're carrying around these giant like, wow. you know, M16s oh. on the train coming home. And that makes you feel safer. In a weird way, yeah, yes. yeah, no, it I made follow me that. I, I absolutely follow that. It I absolutely did. follow that. Hope you're enjoying our conversation with Courtney Bryant. You know, when I was in my God, I got to Camo V when I was 23 years old, and you know, listen, I want to make it clear, it's not like I was making some ridiculous amount of money, but I was doing okay, especially for for 23 years old, and then a couple of years later, I started doing radio as well. And at that point, I was doing well enough to the point that I should have known better and should have had somebody in my life guiding me with my finances. And it was a big miss. There's there's no way around it. And there's nobody else to blame but myself. And so when I talk about Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, I say this from a place of experience. And that is, I had an opportunity And I blew the opportunity. Now, it's not like it's some kind of crisis, but it was an opportunity to do more with what I was making at a time where I was single with no kids. And, oh, no, I'll just go ahead and do this and do that and spend it. And then you go, oh, I could have paid off my condo. I could have uh, invested here or there. No, I'll just go ahead and play on poker stars. Yeah, that's what was going on for me. So I'm telling you, it doesn't matter if you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. To have somebody to help you be a financial strategist, that's an important thing. So here's what I'm talking about. Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. For me, that's the guy. I met with Mark, and I was thinking that it would be good to have a new sponsor in the podcast, of course, but I want to make sure if I'm going to talk about somebody that I know what they're that they're all about and that I know that this person knows what he or she is talking about. And sure enough, after talking to Mark, I was saying to myself, I wish I would have known him 20 years ago because I'd be in a different position now by managing my money smartly then. 
And so this is the opportunity for you. It doesn't matter what age you are to seize it with this person. Because I can tell you, uh, Mark uh, is somebody that I personally am impressed with. That is the key that people don't think about when it comes to managing money. And it's so important. I sat with Mark and he just opened up his iPad. He entered the dollar figures. It could be your 401k. It could be your savings. It could be your investments. And he puts you and your family on the right path for what you want. He helps people every day and he helps everyday people build a strategy to get to their financial goals. He helps build a strategy to put your kids through college, to keep you from having to work until you're 95 years old, to not get blasted on taxes and make sure your family is taken care of in case the unthinkable happens. His name is Mark Hanna. Give him a call at 314-889-0503, 314-889-0503, or check him out online at evergreenstl.com. So you leave Israel, and then you go back to Pepperdine for your senior year. Right. So then I met people while I was there, and they were doing this documentary, and they said, why don't you come back? So, so after your senior year, you go back. I went back. Okay, all right. Yeah, and I, and that time it was very different because I wasn't there with a group of Americans. I was there by myself. And, you know, I didn't really know anyone yeah. besides the people I was working with. It was an Orthodox Jewish nonprofit that uh, basically hired me to um, come in and narrate a documentary on Israeli history. So I did that. You know, it wasn't turning out to be quite what I thought it would be. I didn't know if I wanted to be involved in the project anymore. Um, and then I, I actually went out and got a job working as a hookah bar waitress at night. That's what you would do at night as the hookah so this, bar waitress. this was my life. I was working for a, <laughs> an ultra-Orthodox, not ultra-Orthodox, but an Orthodox Jewish organization during the day. And then that night I would go wait tables and um it was mainly american and canadian right. tourists so you know english speaking uh -huh. so i do that at night and i was living within the walls of the old city in the jewish quarter so i stuck out like a sore thumb <laughs> you know i'm american i'm not jewish by the way if you were wondering i w I, I wasn't going to ask i didn't know but people were kind of just looking at me like what are you doing here right you know, <laughs> so, I don't know. did anybody ever point know? blank say what are you doing here uh, no, no, it was, it was strange, but they would have questions because they're wondering why I was there. All right. But saying... I will say the experience put me, it was like a fish out of water experience that you can't replace in terms of just a life learning experience, you know? Yeah. It, so. it was, did the Orthodox Jewish, uh, company you were working for a nonprofit, I should say, mm -hmm. did they frown upon you working at the hookah bar at night or did they not? Know? No, they loved it. They loved it. Because they wanted me to you know, kind of feel as comfortable and at home as possible. And mm -hmm. it, it was hard for me to do that as welcoming and as warm as that community was towards me. And, you know, they would have me into their homes for dinner. Yeah. You know, they were absolutely welcoming, but I still didn't have family or friends there. Yeah. So, you know, working at the bar let me be around Americans and, you know, just people my age. And it was just kind of cool. I mean, yeah. I, it sounds so weird. No, now, it, it sounds back, great. Like, I mean, it's such a bizarre... Worldly. Like I, I went happened. to the University of Missouri, grew up in South City here, and then and then went to Little Rock, and I was only there for nine months, mm -hmm. and then I'm back here. You know, that's what I got. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're like, I went back to Israel right. after working the red carpet <laughs> and breaking in to interview Bradley Cooper. I know. I mean, you're like, your week is more exciting than my 41 years. It's, you know, <laughs> yeah, and I always say that my life is very boring, but Yeah, but now back, that we're talking about it, you realize you got a lot going on here. Yeah. 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 I guess so, so. so you, so how long were you in Israel the second time? So the second time I was there for three months and I would have stayed indefinitely, but 
I just felt it was time to go. Mm-hmm. You know, I I narrated the thing and it was done. The package was all, I mean, the project was all in the can. Mm-hmm. So I just came to him and I said, you know, I think I belong back in the States. Right. So I came back and... And is that when you start looking for jobs with, so in local television? In a way, yes. I did one interview with the station in Bakersfield okay. where I would end up working. But for six months, I didn't hear back. So I went and started selling shoes. Okay, now I'm... Really, you did not hear back. <laughs> wow. I didn't hear back. They ended up... Um, what happened is they found another girl who had You're about more Bakersfield experience in than me. She okay. had two years under her belt at another station. So she got the job over me. And I completely understood that. You know, yeah, no, that was fair. But so you weren't sending out your DVDs to I a wasn't. bunch of... Really? No. Now, why weren't you? I think I was just kind of... After living... Um, you know, in Jerusalem for three months, I think I was just ready to kind of be home. And the idea of moving, moving to, another to another strange place, place right. was, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure I had written off going into local TV, but I... What just, were you thinking you wanted to do? I don't know. I think I was just... It was like Jonah and the whale. I was just running away from my <laughs> calling, I guess. Yeah. So so you weren't doing... You were, you were selling shoes. I was selling shoes. I was a... Where uh, were you? Where were you selling shoes? Well, I was a temp. Okay. So, you know, temp selling shoes. I was a temp and the agency placed me with K Swiss. So I was hey, working for Swiss. <laughs> That's like what we were like in the nineteen nineties, you know? I know. When I was like spitting Pete Rock seal smooth lyrics. <laughs> and I'm a I'm hey, a white kid in South City wearing K Swiss. Now. I didn't even know they were still functioning. They've got great shoes now. They don't look like they used to look. Really? I don't yeah, know. You're, you're still endorsing K Swiss. I, I love them. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Fine. So you're selling K Swiss the temp. You're a lot of things I didn't know. I see why that's not on the bio. <laughs> right. Actually, my, my official role was a merchandiser. So I merchandiser. worked with the Canadian region. And I would try to project how many shoes they would want for back to school time. You know, how many, what's very specific the, which, deal. which styles sold best last season uh-huh. and how many of each size do we need to order? So then we work with the factory in China and, you know, get the shoes in. So you're doing so that. Technically, I was in fashion merchandising. You're fashion merchandising. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to. Right. I, I understand what you're doing. So, <laughs> so six months you're doing this. And then what, Bakersfield calls? So then Bakersfield calls, and that's when I packed up and moved to Bakersfield. All right. How far is Bakersfield from where you grew up? It's about two hours. Okay. Yeah. And so it wasn't hours, like really leaving Is it west home. or north? It is central California, so it's a little so, bit north. It's, east. It is northeast, but it's a little bit more northeast. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess mathematically it can't be, or geographically it can't be west. So, so you're doing that, and you get there, and how long are you there? I was there for a total of two and a half years. I'm surprised to hear that. Were you under really? contract? Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. That it took me that long? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, no, here's, no, I mean, here's I mean, what take happened. Take it that long, like, take it that long for, like, your next job. Right. Yeah. So what happened is I Were went you under there. Contract? I was under contract. Okay, and that, that explains it. Did I you went, have outs? I did. Okay. So the outs kicked in at the beginning of the second year. Okay. So what I was doing is I was kind of sitting back waiting for the right opportunity. And I could have left six you have an months agent? before I left. You had an agent. You have to have an I agent. got an agent by accident again. A lot of things happened to happen? me by accident. But that's probably somebody who saw you were talented and then reached out. That's how it happened, So it was right? actually a friend of mine from Pepperdine who was uh, an assistant to the agent who ended up, I ended up so working with. So is this a legitimate agent or is this now? a guy like hanging out at a club? Oh, no, going, she's hey, great. No, I think it'd be great. Oh, yeah, so this is a legitimate it's, agent. It's right. Ken Linder and Associates are oh, one that's, of the top that's, agencies. I remember from my days, that one was like one of the best ones to be still associated are. with. Her. Hey, Absolutely. I'm, I'm still with that Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that was like, that for real was like the one. I remember you could have named any agency. I yeah. probably wouldn't remember, but that one I remember. Yeah, All right. so she actually. Is he still doing it? 
He is. God, yeah. Wow. Yeah, Kenny okay. is still All right. still there. That's a great one. So right. they reached out to you? They reached out to me, but it was because my friend was her assistant. So, um, yeah, she kind of looked at my stuff and said, she's got a lot of potential, um, brought me into their office in Century City mm-hmm. and um, had a look at my stuff and said, you know what? We want to work with you. So um, my agent actually invested a lot into me. And I, you know, I really appreciated that because it helped me to really move to the next level in my career. So what did they do to work with you? Um, you know, just little things to kind of kind of like what we call consulting, Absolutely. talent coaching, you yeah. know, just kind of looking at you. You know, you're not making enough facial expressions I when you look told, at the camera. I, the, the things I was told by my agent, turn off the volume and just watch yourself mm. with one monitor and then turn off the monitor and then listen to your vocal inflections and then cover up your face, but just see your eyes to see if you're making like emphatic points with your eyes. <laughs> These were all the meta games we were playing right. in the uh, in the 2000s. What were they telling you? I got that I wasn't, I was very expressive with my eyebrows, but the rest of my face is kind of static. What are you supposed to be doing with the rest of your face? That's why I said you cover up your face. What I mean, what are you supposed to be doing? Well, you know, when you have a conversation with someone, your whole face is kind of working. Yeah, I get you that. Know? But when, get you're, that. when you're just, you're just kind of focused on the teleprompter and yeah. you're trying not to mess up. That's what I was told. You look like you're trying not to mess up. So, um, but the good news is she liked everything else. About I'm not going to say everything else, but, you know, <laughs> she I mean. She thought highly of your current work and potential, right. I gather. Right. Right. So they then start getting your work out there to a variety of markets. Yeah. Correct. And then I hear St. Louis has an opportunity. And had you been to St. Louis at all? I had never been to St. Louis. Did you know where St. Louis was? I'm going to go ahead and admit I had an idea where it was, <laughs> but I... I'm not sure I could have told you on a map where it's it was. So I always, when I'm traveling, and I haven't spent that much time in Los Angeles, but fair amount, certainly much more in New York and in Las Vegas and mm-hmm. Miami. And then I'll say we're from St. Louis, and they go, oh, Missouri. Whereas when we're in St. Louis, we're like, well, we have the Cardinals and the Arch, and it's like it's the center of our right. world. And so many people who live here grew up here. And then we realize, oh, yeah, it's just like one of, you know. But see, I mean, you have to keep in mind I hadn't really been anywhere. You know, yes, yeah, so you only had been to Israel right. a couple of different times and interviewing Bradley Cooper on the red carpet. Yeah, you've been but living see, that was all sheltered in LA, life. And then I flew over right. St. Louis. Yeah. To get to <laughs> oh, you fly Israel. over territory to us, Courtney. <laughs> no, you didn't. Say it ain't so. But you know what? As soon as I got here, I fell in love with this place. And I was so just impressed with this. Sounds this might sound funny to people who are from here, but I was so impressed with the architecture. My dad's an architect. My oh, mom's really? dad. My um, my mom's dad's an architect. My grandpa is a JPL engineer. So it kind of got a little bit of engineering in and architecture. As in Jet Propulsion Laboratory? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, he's been retired for Well, no, I, I understand that. Yeah. But that, I mean, that's, you got to be a sharp cat to be JPL engineer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. He's yeah. awesome. Yeah. He's I my hero. So. I would think so. Yeah. yeah that guy's got to be something else. But architecture is kind of a big thing in my family. So what's the architecture that you, that you dig about St. Louis? I just thought it was awesome. Like the buildings in downtown? Yeah. yeah. I thought it was a beautiful city. You know, I mean, I came here, I'm just kind of, my, my neck is craning, just going up, looking like, you know, I mean, I told that to someone and they said, but you're from LA. And I said, yeah, but LA is kind of new, Yeah, you know, St. Louis has a little bit more of that. Like downtown LA history. is a very small relative to like, especially like if you're in Manhattan or something right. like that, but a Chicago, whatever, it's kind of a small. Yeah. Know, so you... see, I go to places like I was in Chicago a couple weeks ago and I get really impressed and and so do people like my sister was there with me and we're the same way we're like wow the buildings are so cool like you know 
just seeing the history that's yeah. here. That does have really, it, it, it really does, stands it does out. Have, it does have that. When you when you decided, were you deciding between other markets in St. Louis, or was it like St. Louis is here? They're all in. They want you. I'm going to St. Louis. So there was a station in Indianapolis that uh, that reached out to my agent and had an opportunity, and for some reason, Indianapolis didn't appeal to me the same way that St. Louis did. Which, looking back, I'm not sure why. Yeah, I, I thought of it as really cold, and that's my biggest fear is cold. So <laughs> The one interview I was able to find you've done, uh-huh. it was with a gentleman from the St. Louis American, I believe. Palmer, oh, yeah. Palmer Alexander, yeah. who used to like come in when Frank Cusimano and I were doing the show like 15 years ago. And I guess he was interning with Frank. And he asked you about it, and then he said something like, oh, it doesn't get too cold here. I'm like, Palmer, don't lie to her. I mean, it gets- oh, yeah, that was a lie. <laughs> yeah, that I'm was like, a lie. I mean, <laughs> when you're used to L.A. weather. Everything is cold. Yeah. Anything is like cold. Like 40s cold, much less when it's in the single digits. Oh, I mean, can't yeah. even imagine what that's like. It's, it is torture to people who were I'm yeah, not, not accustomed to it. I'm not bred worst? for cold weather. It's just the, it's the, it's really is the worst. Yeah. Yeah. I get out of here in January, February, March, and I just do the show down from Florida. That's what I do. I've I learned to save my vacation time for January. So you can get out. Yeah, I don't blame you. Yeah. It really does. I can't take it. I just have to stay indoors. So then, so then one of my questions, I'm going to get there, but since I just bounce around, this is ADD theater here. Uh, <laughs> it, it, like, I feel like inevitably you're going to be in New York or Los Angeles. I guess it makes sense for you to go back to Los Angeles being from Los Angeles. Like, I feel like this is inevitable. Mm. Now, maybe you don't think it's inevitable, or maybe you just feel like you can't say that it's inevitable. Right. But I'm going to operate off the premise that I'm going to speak on your behalf, and it's inevitable oh. <laughs> that you're going to be in New York or Los Angeles. Okay. But, but it seems like it'd be more likely than for you to go, especially since you're from L.A., to go back to L.A., because New York, it's not like that's temperate either. You know? In a scenario where I were to— Have a choice. Go beyond St. Louis someday. Of course. In the distant future. Of course. Of course. Very, very sharp, sharp. I would prefer a warm climate. I understand. I don't blame you on that. Yeah. So, but that being said, you could be here for the rest of your life. St. Louis versus Indianapolis. St. Louis, hands down, because Indianapolis, as I understand, is much colder. It is, and I don't know why, because it doesn't seem like it's that much further north, but, right. but it is colder there for some but odd St. reason. But St. Louis, you know, I'm told there are some some blizzards or some crazy winters that we've had here in the past. Hasn't happened since I've moved here. And when did you get here? 2015? 2015. Okay. So I'm coming up on three years. So when you when you got here, you weren't hired as an anchor, though, correct? I was hired as a, a one-night-a-week anchor here. One-night-a-week? One-night-a-week, wow, a... Sunday nights with Corey Stark. Okay. So uh, I was doing that, and then I was reporting four nights a week. So what happened— Did you leave Bakersfield as an anchor, or were you a reporter slash anchor? Okay. Yeah, I was doing the evenings there. Okay. So I was anchoring three hours a day. What did you have there, five, CBS, six, and Fox ten? Or duopoly. Or yeah, five, six— There's five, eleven. Five, six, ten, eleven. Oh, four. yeah. So essentially, five to six thirty and ten to eleven thirty. Okay. So I was doing that. Came here, was anchoring Sunday nights, reporting four nights a week, and at the time, uh, I think Sharon Reed was the ten o'clock anchor who mm-hmm. had left right before I started. Mm-hmm. So uh, at the time, I think um, uh, we still had Jasmine Huda yeah. working. I don't remember quite what time she was anchoring five. And then Claire Kellett was actually doing Great Day. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was quite a different setup we had. But, yeah, I, I understood that I was in line to get the 10 o'clock job, but I thought it was probably a long shot given that I was coming in. So there was an opening you knew when you came. Right, you, because were, Sharon had left. But yeah, at what, the she time, went to Atlanta or something like that? She went to Atlanta. 
Uh, at the time, Alyssa Reitmeyer was our 10 o'clock anchor, sort of just she was doing the job, but she hadn't been named. Mm-hmm. But I assume that, you know, there are some people who've been putting in a lot of work, putting in a lot of, you know, um, you know, paying their dues, essentially, for this job. Mm-hmm. So, you know. So is it tense because everybody's going for the one job? It kind of was, yeah. but, you know, from where I sat, I, I thought I'm just going to come in and do a good job reporting and, and anchor my one night a week and be happy. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine with that. Right. So then, what ha- so then what winds up happening? So Alyssa was having a baby. That's what I thought was winding up happening. All right. Second time this has happened to me in yeah. my career. And she ended up going on maternity leave and I was asked to fill in. So, and so at that point, that what was are you the anchoring? first time I worked with Steve Savard okay. at an extended period of time for three months. I filled in for her. And then she came back and then she unexpectedly left because her husband had taken a job in Birmingham. So, you know, what is she going to do? Of course, she's going right. to follow her husband and baby to Birmingham. So, um, so she left and we were sad to lose her. And, um, you know, but it, it opened an opportunity for me. So I was appreciative mm-hmm. that I was in line at that point for the 10 o'clock job. So at that point, what are you anchoring? So at that point, I was doing the five and I was reporting. Okay. Which was very interesting, you know. It so would you report for, after the five or report I would before report the five? after the, uh, before and after Ugh. most yeah. of the time. My day would usually start at like 11 o'clock because you're making calls. You're trying to set up a story. That's a long day. It was a long day. It was, but, Where was your agent you know, on that? it was worth it. I think she, you know, you'd be surprised. My agent, she, she would tell me. Grind um, through that. It's good for you to grind through If it? you're working a 12-hour day, you should probably be working 14. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, she's kind of... You're a different agent than I had, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I appreciate that. There are a lot of yes-men in this business, and I don't like it when people tell you you're great. I, I like it when people tell you... So you're hating this experience right now with me, then? <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I, I appreciate good feedback, but I also appreciate honest feedback. Okay. And, you know, if people are telling you that you are perfect then you'll never get better because you're mm. just getting your ego stroked. But putting in 12-, 14-hour day, that's a, that's a, especially when you're well, in the middle of it. Well, that wasn't every day. Yeah. I don't want to give myself too much credit. Uh, but I did work hard. Uh, yeah. I worked hard. So now I'll give myself credit for that. you are at what times? So, gosh, this is hard to recount all of this. Um, I have a horrible memory, too. I'm too young for this, but I'm definitely <laughs> losing. You're losing it already. My faculties. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at this point, I'm, I'm anchoring the five. Uh, well, I guess after Alyssa left, I was anchoring the five and the ten. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I would still go out and turn a little piece between Damn. or somebody would go out and shoot something and I'd be putting it together. You know, I was still sort of a reporter and I think they they wanted me to take on some of those duties on the anchor desk, but still be there to report if they needed me. Mm-hmm. You know how it is. I mean, it's okay. local news. Every newsroom needs as much help as they, they have on staff. So, um, But I was happy to do it because I was working towards a goal of hopefully getting the 10 o'clock job at that point. Because at this point, I'm in line to get it. Right. Um, but then, of course, what happens, our news director at the time, he's gone. So we talking so about Sean? We're talking about after Sean. the guy after Sean. Okay. Yeah. All right. So then they started to search for a new news director. And so, so now you have no idea. Now I'm in limbo. Yeah. So I spent about seven months in that fill-in role capacity. How'd, how'd that go? Was that a little difficult? I mean, you got to uh, do what you got to do, I guess. No, because guess what time that fell in? What time that fell in? Winter. 
Oh. So that got me out of the cold. <laughs> so I was you appreciative of that. You can mind that. You can be yeah. on the desk. So I officially became the 10 o'clock anchor in January 2016. Okay. So just in time to get through the winter. Nicely done. Yeah. And so it's you and Steve almost all the time? Or is it you and Claire? So Claire the... and I anchored together at 5. Okay. And Steve and I anchored together at 6 and 10. All right. Well, when Steve was in that, that chair where you're sitting right now, he raved about you. He raved about you. Did he really? Oh, absolutely. He said she can go wherever she wants to go. Is he trying to get rid of me? <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to ship you out. <laughs> you know what? I hadn't thought about that, but now i got to go back and listen to the audio. Um, so, so you're in St. Louis, and you're certainly getting involved with the community. Um, what is your opinion of St. Louis now that you've had, what, almost nearly three years here? What is my opinion of St. Louis? St. Louis is a big little town. Mm-hmm. It's um, very familial, which is a great thing. And it could be a little bit of an intimidating factor for someone who moves here outside, from another place. Provincial. Right. And, you know, I would say, though, that people overcompensated when telling me what was going to happen to me as an outsider. Like, oh, they're going to eat you up. You know, they're not going to like you because you're not you from that? here. I'm not going to name names. <laughs> But I will say, I was very paranoid about I think about you know that. who it was? It was Doug Vaughn. That's who told you. That's exactly who it was. I just called out your hand. Well, was he was Doug trying Vaughn. to protect his job security. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I don't do sports. That's one thing I don't touch. Are you a fan of any teams? I know you'll say you're a fan of the Cardinals, but growing up. I am up, a rabid Lakers fan. Oh, Lake Show. So what do you think about LeBron? you got to be fired up. It's, uh. Oh, you're not that excited about it. I'm excited in terms of the possibilities it has for our future, for bringing us back to greatness. Um, somebody on my Facebook page attacked me and said that I'm too young to remember the last time the Lakers were great. They won the I said, NBA. what do you think I am, 12? Yeah, they, didn't they win, what, what year, 2010, am I right? Is that the most recent championship? Uh, don't quote me on this. But <laughs> but I am old enough to remember yeah, the, absolutely. you know, the three-peat. Yeah, what, 2000, 2001, 2002. Phil Jackson, yeah. you know, Shaq, Kobe. That was so like, somebody came after you on this? Somebody attacked really? me and told me, and I don't know if they're trying to assume that I'm a bandwagoner, or something, but yeah. no, like, trust You're and legit. believe, I was born a Lakers fan. You've never been to the forum, though. The The Lakers were playing in the Staples Center when Here's, I started going Nick to games. Is, Nick is handling, I was right, 2010. Okay, yeah, you're right on the money. Yeah. Uh, so thank you, Nick, for the yeah. 2010 was the last one. Then 2008, but the thing before back that the was the big, you know, the dynasty right. era. You know, now, I grew up as a Lakers fan here in St. Louis, mm-hmm. and but I lived for Magic Johnson and James Worthy. Oh man, and, how did you not? Yeah, it was the best. Right, but Lakers are the best, yeah, and I, I can I, say that freely because St. Louis does not have, have an, an NBA, NBA team. team. How do you feel about the Dodgers? Now I'm going to watch you do your thing. I've here. never <laughs> cared about baseball until I moved to St. Louis, and, and now I can you enjoy say it. that with complete honesty. All right, so, you go to, I'm sure you've been to Dodger Stadium though. Of course. Sick ballpark. At least I think it's a sick ballpark. It's okay. You don't I mean, like it. My memories of uh, Dodger Stadium are mainly like sitting in traffic, <laughs> coming down from Chavez Ravine. Yeah. It, isn't that amazing? And it's, I didn't realize the first time I went there, It's it literally is in, like, when you see the roof of Dodger Stadium, yeah. the, the stadium is under it. Like, so the parking oh, yeah. lot is even with the roof, and then the ballpark is literally, I guess, in that Chavez Ravine. Yeah. And it is brutal And it's a traffic. long line of cars, yes. and they don't move, and you might as well pack a snack for after yeah, the game. That's or funny. you do what most people do, which you leave, like, sixth inning, seventh inning. Yeah. That's why the uh, famous Kirk Gibson home run, you see all the cars leaving in the background right. of, of, of that. Uh, L.A. Kings. 
Uh, never cared about hockey. Okay, all right. Until I moved to St. Until Louis. Louis, St. Louis and yeah. the Blues now, of I had never been to an NHL game until really? I moved to St. Louis. Even though they've won the Chalice a couple times out there. Right. I just they never didn't cared. Do it for you. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, you know, that that one is taboo. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about that. <laughs> You're allowed to talk about it. I just want to see how you handle it. I'll tell you one thing. Okay. The One of the first major stories I covered in St. Louis was the Rams. Was leaving. that thing. I mean, what year was that? Was that? Uh, what was it? January was it 16? 16, right? January yeah, 16 was the vote. Was, yeah. So that was, you know, my first month essentially on the anchor desk. At, oh, so you're you covering know, in the that. main spot. And, uh, you know, I was having mixed feelings because I, you know, I had covered like the town hall the NFL executives had where they're hearing from the fans. But, you know, it was emotional because you're seeing like raw emotion from fans who are so upset at the possibility of the Rams leaving. They're like, you know, I remember there was this really elderly guy. He broke down in tears. And so I'm seeing this. I'm like, man, this is so sad. So I went out there and I covered the Oakland Town Hall and I covered the San Diego Mm -hmm. Town Hall. And then I also was scheduled to meet with James Butts, the mayor of Inglewood. And I did uh, interview the mayor of San Diego because I wanted to get to the bottom of what was going on because I was speaking with the Rams. A lot of it was off the record Mm -hmm. while that whole process was going on. And the day I was supposed to interview James Butts, the mayor of Inglewood, I don't know how familiar you would be with him. uh, Suddenly he was no longer available. Interesting. Yeah, and then I and they said, yeah, he's now on some kind of like metro transit they had there uh, for us. And I said, oh, like I'm sticking around. I just had a hotel in Santa Monica. My wife and I are just hanging out. I'm like, I'll stick around a few more days. And, uh, oh, well, no, he's not going to be available tomorrow. I said, okay, I'm going to be here for the next two weeks just because I know what's going on. It's mm-hmm. a total bluff. And I said, so when over the next two weeks? And then at that point, I didn't hear. So it's my belief very confidently that the St. Louis Rams at the time said, don't do an interview with him. Wow. Because Mayor Butts, the night he was reelected, said, I'm meeting with Stan Kroenke about the Rams moving here because he was all excited about it. And, of course, that wasn't something he was supposed to say. And so there was all this cloak and dagger stuff going right. on. That's a with, good word for it. With, but I also checked out the Inglewood site. I'm assuming you've been at least in that vicinity. I don't know how oh, often yeah. you. It's, yeah, it's taking shape. Oh, now I it mean, is. But I mean, it was, I was that in that area. Was the, they were de- destroying the old Hollywood right. Park. Uh, Forum, of course, is what right just to the east of it, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. And then I also went down to the Carson site. Did you ever? You ever? Hang out in Carson much oh, growing no. up. <laughs> so I go down to Carson and the security guy uh, and I was meeting with the mayor of Carson who was going to give me a tour of the supposed Raiders Chargers site. And I said to the security guy to let us in. And it's a landfill, as you may know or may not know. I don't know, since you didn't spend much time mm-hmm. uh, in Carson. Uh, and I said, yeah, I'm here for, to, to check out the stadium site. And the guy goes, stadium site? He goes, I'm not building a stadium here. Is a, this is a landfill. And I go, well, this is where they're supposedly building the stadium. So then I drive down to San Diego from there, and I meet with the mayor of San Diego, and he's getting mic'd up. And he goes, so how is L.A.? And I go, good. I said, the Carson thing seems to me like it's not real. And he and he's just says to himself, he goes, I trust your instinct on that one. So my whole point in telling the story is from the get-go, I believe, it was going to be the Rams going to Inglewood. Right. Possibly with the Chargers, and that Carson was a bluff the entire time. To throw us all off to the throw track. throw us all off, yeah. So I know it's yeah. a weird thing to be a Los Angeles native and be in St. Louis yeah. and talk about... You know, I value the timing of how it all happened, though, because I I felt equal amounts of disappointment and solidarity with St. Louis fans, yeah. and also, you know, I'm getting texts from my family. And they're all like excited. they're elated. Are, were they Rams fans? Because they had Rams and Raiders, right. you know? 
Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, especially my dad, he was excited. Yeah. You know, my brother's got an 11 year old son. You yeah. know, he was excited just to be able to bring him to NFL games and, you know, and have LA like, fans kind of just felt left out because yeah. they didn't have a team. So, um, they're not getting on the Chargers bandwagon. That's not playing well out there, it doesn't seem. You know, people care about the Chargers. I think it's just more like I grew up going to UCLA games with yeah. my dad, you yeah. know, or you would go to USC games or you go to the Rose Bowl. You mm-hmm. know, we went and watched the Rose Parade every year and see the teams that are playing. They'd be in the parade, yeah. and, you know, because my family's from Pasadena. And so that's a big part of the culture there sure. is the Rose Absolutely. Bowl. You know, so. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Uh, now that the Rams are in L.A., it's almost like, do people really care that they're there? It hasn't really been um, infused into the culture too much. You know, I guess it's just wait and see, especially yeah. when the stadium opens. What it'll be like then. What it'll so be what like. it be, 2020 or 21-ish? I'm not sure. pushed back, and it keeps getting yeah. more expensive. It was initially going to be $2.5 billion, and right. now it's, it's, uh, it's $4 billion. So Cardinals fan, legitimately. I believe you when you're saying that. Yeah, because I, I just don't go to Dodgers games. Yeah. So do you, you go know? to Cardinal games? I've been to a few Cardinals games. And what and, do you think? You know, I love it. I think it's it's totally different than it's like a college football the kind of baseball experience that I was used yeah. to. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of casual, laid back. Although yeah. we went to those playoff games in L.A. It was and intense. I think the whole setup, setup of Bush Stadium with Ballpark Village, it is a very unique thing that, that St. Louis fans are lucky to have. Yeah. Do you hang out ever at Ballpark Village? I or do. Is it, or is it, yeah. is I mean, it, it's right do, up the street do, from the station. Do people so. like? Do people come up and you know, say stuff? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be as diplomatic as I can I be. Don't really. Before I ask you about Larry Nickel on your Facebook page. Oh gosh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so do people come up and say anything, or, or, or are they are they just like, yeah, oh, I things. recognize you, good things. I would good imagine things. so. Yeah, That's people good. are so sweet, and you know, never for a second do I take that for granted, right? Because. Um, you know, maybe it could be the other way. Maybe I could be like persona non grata mm. and people might want me to leave or see me as this outsider who took their rants, <laughs> you know, but that's not what happened. <laughs> so, a, you a know, connection. yeah, I'm glad to have the positive experience that I've had. Hope you're enjoying the interview with Courtney Bryant. James Carlton of James Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency has made all of this possible. And I'm not just talking about our conversation with Courtney Bryant. I'm talking about the whole podcast. Because when I was starting this thing up nearly a year ago, James Carlton said, hey, I'd like to be a part of that. And I said, oh, that's great because we haven't even really started doing it and you're on board already. And that's a wonderful thing. And he stuck around because you, the people listening, have made the decision to get on board with James Carlton at 314-961-4800, 314-961-4800, or net. Now, here it is. I mean, just being as transparent as possible, uh, when you're starting up a business, you just need dollars. That's that's the name of the game. Um, but I, I can't ever be in a spot, at least knowingly, where I'm going, yeah, this person's great or this product's great, and then, you know, endorse it, and then somebody goes, hey, that didn't really be, uh, that didn't work out real well. That company or that person didn't take care of me. So as I've gotten to know James, it becomes easier and easier to talk about him, whether it be on the radio or on the podcast, because I got to be honest, this guy is so good. Uh, I talked about it at the start of the podcast with Courtney Bryant, how I would buy all kinds of stock on Courtney Bryant, buy all kinds of stock on James Carlton. This guy is going to be around for a long time because of the way he operates his business. He's a young guy who has really already built something, and it's going to continue to grow because the word is spreading. If you 
need to save money on your insurance, if you need life insurance, if you want to make sure your home, your cars are taken care of, your family, whatever it is, James Carlton is the person. The customer service, candidly, that's the thing that sets them apart. It is, it's so refreshing because you kind of get to a point where you think it's kind of a lost art, especially in insurance. But with James, it's been incredible. And I, uh, I, don't, I don't think twice to refer our audience to him. 314-961-4800. They'll do all the work for you if you make the switch. Not like you got to go, oh, no, now i got to fill out a bunch of paperwork. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton. State Farm. So, uh, so you you're getting married here in a year. You said not here in L.A. Right. I said yeah. I, I I just fiance said is also from the L.A. Okay. area. Okay. So, so is he in St. Louis or is he in Los Angeles? So he moved to St. Louis to support my career. Wow. How about this guy? Which is incredible. How long have you guys been together? Almost a decade. Wow. Which is a long time. I yeah. Know. I'm not gonna say how old I am, but. You could probably do the math. Yeah, I'm sitting here. I'm doing algebra in my head right now. Yeah, so but then that's you, a long time. You were with him at Pepperdine. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so now I can narrow it down even. Oh my gosh! <laughs> As everything, this is this is so meta, Courtney. I mean, you know you what? Even I was ready for my age to come up, and I think I'm ready to talk about it now. Okay, let's talk about it. How old are you? I'm not going to tell you how old I am. Well, you just said like, I was ready for it to come out, and I'm ready to talk about it now. So, but you know, I honestly, I truthfully see you can't. Anytime you guess a woman's age, you cannot. You it's always, rude. Yes, I know. So it's a bad yeah. play. But yeah. if you do it psychologically, I have to. I have to go. I have to go, okay, here's what I think it is, mm-hmm. and then subtract like three or four years. That's the play. Because what if you actually see, are a little I'm higher? the opposite. If I have any insecurities about my age, it's because people would think I'm too young. So Interesting. Right, because, I mean, when you graduate from high school at 16, you're going to be the youngest person mm. in the room, no matter where you are. You know, I mean, that's that's what happens. I'm, I'm at go an older life stage. Oh, no, I'm come on. I'm not 25. <laughs> Now, that is just insulting. <laughs> no, it's intended to be a compliment. My my real answer, Don't though, of course, subtract. I told you the formula. I told my my real formula is the three-year play. Okay. So then I'm on 28. Okay. So I'm going to say that you're close, but I'm not going to say in which direction. Mm, interesting. But I will say this. You know, I used to be insecure about it. Like uh, you're too young. Right. Okay. But, uh, you know, I started to realize that there's a real value in being a millennial. Because, you know, you've got TV executives. They sit around in a room and they say, how do we reach millennials? They're dropping off in record rates. It's very alarming because yes. once the baby boomers die off, where's Where our audience? Yes. What's going to happen? So who better to understand the mind of a millennial than a millennial? Than a I millennial. Think, I think that's smart. I think that is smart. Now, what, I will I, say that I'm not your typical millennial. And what does that mean? Because like, it, I, you know, avocado toast is okay, <laughs> but it's not like, so that's a know, real thing. Grail. That's a real oh, thing. A thing. Yeah, it's a thing. And that's just eating avocados? Is that really what? I mean, I enjoy an avocado. It's right. lovely, but I don't get like it being a thing. And it's that's associated with millennials. Yeah, you'll see people wear like avocado clothing these days. <sighs> I just like, thought that was like know, the thing that like older people do to like mock millennials is the avocado thing. But it's a it's real, a but it's, real li- it's a legitimate thing. There's material to the stereotype yeah. of the millennial. All right. right. So how do you see the local news business going here over the next X amount of years? Because you, you are know, right. Now, I obviously sold off my stock in 2005. Right. Here you are in 2018. Mm-hmm. You're in it. What do you see? You just can't resist what audiences are asking for. You've got to, uh, you know, people are asking for digital. You can't just view digital as an afterthought. You know, I think that's something that our organization has worked really hard at. And we have a, a great digital team that's always saying digital first. 
You know, it has to be so second nature to, um, you can't just take something and pull it off the news and post it online these days. You know, it's almost like it's got to go on your website, on your Twitter, on Facebook, um, push alerts sent out. Um, I just think that millennials care about news more than we get credit for, but it's the format we're asking for it to be different, to be, um, you know, you're basically asking for things to be interpreted in your language. Mm-hmm. So we speak in short, short blurbs, short sentences, you know, short attention spans. Not that that's a bad thing. It's just we live in a microwave oven culture. Yeah. Everything is quick. It is immediate. You know, no one's sitting around waiting for the five o'clock news to come on. Right. No one's even home at five o'clock anymore. So uh, I'm not going to say no one because you well, have people a who are still... Than there was. 20 years ago, most right. likely. So, so you have to adjust. I think as a local news station, we still have to serve, uh, you know, our traditional audiences who want to get their news at 5, 6, and 10. But at the same time, we just cannot neglect that there are younger people or, or just people who are more digital focused who need just as much attention. So like know? ESPN was trying to figure out how to make SportsCenter what it used to be. And mm-hmm. I don't even know. I feel like that might be like making the train relevant again. I mean, some things they have their time and they're just right. kind of passing. And so they tried to go the Snapchat route with like some younger anchors going Snapchat. Right. What do you see as far as local news possibly using like an Instagram or Snapchat platform? Would that even, I don't, I, I can't imagine it working. And I don't think it's going to work for ESPN either, but I, I, I mean, at least respect them firing bullets to try and make it try something. Right. What do you think the play is? I hate Snapchat, so I don't so know do if I'm I. the authority I don't on that. Get it, but I mean, I'm 41 on Snapchat. They probably call the police. You know, I need to. I need to. <laughs> that's not a good thing. <laughs> I don't know if that's really the answer. Um, you know, there are some people who are are definitely working in the right direction. Vice News is one of them. Yeah. They, you know, it's really weird. You'll see people like Netflix. They'll come out with like longer format documentary pieces or reporting and people are so tuned into that so i love that stuff but are you saying like the millennials are not no i'm saying that they are okay it's almost like you know you want your bullet points to know what happened today but if you're really interested in a certain topic you want to hear about you know um gosh what's the topic that people are interested in right now well, I mean, the know. midterms. Okay. It's okay. a nice play. Maybe you do a long form piece on one of the candidates who's running mm-hmm. or, you know, I don't know. I just feel like people are very tuned in, but it's got to be in their Facebook feed. It can be a 10 minute report, but you just got to give it to them where they are. Yeah. And so. that's, that's what it's, I do believe that's what I said about the podcast industry. I feel like radio mm-hmm. eventually it's shifting to podcasts. And podcasting is hugely popular. Yeah. So that's a perfect example where. You know, it's not like millennials don't care about news. I feel like millennials are so tuned in with news because it's on your phone, it's on your podcast, it's on your TV, you know. So there's just so many different formats. I think we just have to be in one of those places where they want to get it from. What's it like anchoring? Granted, it's local news at this particular point in your career during what legitimately is. I don't think we're overstating it. The mm-hmm. hyper partisan era in American politics. Gosh, it's you know, it's interesting because this is how I know I'm doing my job correctly. I'll that you get, get hate from conservatives and liberals? Yes. There you go. That's right. Yes. Yep. And, um, you know, I don't get offended about it anymore. It's just, I guess it, it just shows me that I fall in the middle, which is where I belong. Mm-hmm. You know, my personal beliefs don't have anything to do with the news. That's, I will always feel that way. You know, I just don't think that we need another talking head in this overpopulated universe of talking heads fighting each other on the TV. Mm -hmm. 
You know, it's like all you see. I, I don't know if cable news is really helping the discourse. It's almost like uh, ESPN, it's like Sports Center. You know, it's like people are just arguing for the entertainment for value the of, of watching arguing. them go at it. I agree. You know, I, I, I think what we need more of is um, civility. Like, imagine you're sitting at a dinner table with someone and you are sharing a meal and you are on totally different ends of the spectrum. But if you were in that scenario, I don't think you'd be yelling at each other across right. the table, throwing chicken wings. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Well, then that, 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 that's where, going with your future, I wonder where you will go because, like, logic would dictate if you wanted to go to a cable news network, you mm-hmm. would be able to. But I do see what they do with these cable news networks that you, speaking to your own personal beliefs, being right. in the middle, would you then have to then act, so to speak, and play to the audience of whatever the demographic is, conservative or liberal, of the audience of the network at which you work. You see what I'm saying? I know. That, that kind of makes me sick. I know. About. And I, that makes me sick, too, because I can tell, right. like, you're obviously very intelligent. And then it's like, okay, you almost become an actress at that point. And I, yeah, I don't think that. I think we need, you know, I was telling someone the other day, everybody wants to be Oprah. But nobody is Oprah. <laughs> and what I mean by that is if you really watch... And one of my favorite things to do is go into the YouTube archives and look at old Oprah segments where she would interview a white supremacist. And the person is telling her, I don't want you. You know, they're pointing at her and they're saying, I don't want you living next door to me because, you know, you're inferior or whatever crazy thing they're trying to say. And Oprah's like, you probably couldn't afford living with me anyway. But, she, you know, but she didn't. She could have said something sassy or she could have shut him down. But, but she, she just sat there and listened she just sat, to So it. tell me more about that. And I'm, explain I'm curious why. why. Right. Why do you feel that way? You know? And, you know, it's almost like you're letting people either dig their own grave or build their own castle. So you know? are you interested in becoming the next Oprah? Oh, my gosh. You can't ask me a question of like that. Of course I can. Oh, my gosh. Uh, cool. I mean, why wouldn't you? to say? Sure. I'd love to be the next Oprah. I would love to be the next Courtney Bryant. Oh, wow. That's like a defining statement right there. That's like a great soundbite. That's a great soundbite. You come after me for asking about Oprah, and I want to be the next Courtney Bryant. No, I really, I just believe that uh, every person has a legitimate reason for why they feel a certain way, no matter how uh, uh, legitimate their belief is or how absurd it is. Mm -hmm. And you just have to get to the heart of why they feel that way. They have a certain life experience. You know, they they grew up a certain way. They have a certain belief system, maybe a certain faith Mm -hmm. that they practice. And, you know, I just I'm very curious about people and understanding why they believe what they believe. It is not my job as an interviewer, as a journalist to tell someone they're wrong or they're right. You know, now you fact check. You don't let people just run away with lies, Mm -hmm. you know, but I think what we have too much of is people being like this, you know, they're trying to be like the teacher or the, you know, I agree the with clergy. It's condescending, and then it turns off people who don't necessarily yeah. share the views. It's not my job to determine right from wrong. It's, you know, I determine fact from fiction, but I don't tell people what's morally right or wrong. I'm as, not a moral authority. I'm a journalist. As somebody in the news, when you hear what has become a, a standard part of the lexicon with fake news, which is about mm-hmm. a two to three year old term, what do you think of when you when you hear that? Does you it, know irritate you it irritates me if somebody calls me that because it's like you know it's just 
it's like such a hot buzzword. You know, it's like if you just don't like it, you call it fake news. That's that's essentially right. the, the playbook. Now. It's just I don't know if it's I don't take it to heart because I don't deserve it. It's just aggravating. It's like, just tell me why your opinion is different. Just tell me why you disagree. Mm-hmm. As opposed to with killing facts. the messenger. Right. And with fact. Yeah. Tell me why you disagree with tell these things that are Tell me why you disagree with fact. Uh, but that being said, I will say that as newsmakers, we need to be careful to make sure that we're not deserving of that term. You know, we need to make sure we are vetting our stories before we go to air with them Mm -hmm. or to press with them Mm -hmm. you know you can't you cannot simply just report on um unverified sources or you know um you just can't put shoddy reporting out there and then be surprised when people call you fake news now that being said i believe that 85 percent of the time the term is not deserved you know it's just this insult that's thrown around to kind of you know, undermine people who are hardworking and they don't mean any harm. Yeah. Is it a scary time to be a journalist? Yes and no. Um, I just, I don't think that, I don't think journalists should be distracted by attacks on the media. I think it's always time to do your job. And I don't think there's more than one answer to every question. Mm-hmm. I just don't. Yeah. I, you know, there's more than one opinion, sure. But I believe in universal truth. There's only one answer to every question. So as a journalist, it is my job to get as close to revealing that truth as I can. And maybe I don't have all the answers, but maybe I can find out, you know, a piece of the puzzle. And it's not my job to, you know, to opine, but to find out what that universal truth is. So you never have an interest in in, in whatever your next play will be in your career in being a, in a spot where you are opining or even doing kind mm. of the latent cable news opining even though it's being presented no. really i just don't have the stomach for it <laughs> i am a very i will say this i am a truth warrior like when i decide that my opinion about something is correct you're not going to change my mind give me an so, example of something give me an example oh gosh well okay what do we got what's I'll, going on here you're going to laugh. Okay. okay. So I'm planning a wedding right now. Of course. So I am passionate about like, I didn't think I was very, I didn't, I'm not a bridezilla. I'll say that. Okay. <laughs> Off the top. I'm not a bridezilla, but I. Permit that here by the ant, based on the ant. <laughs> I do not like primary colors at weddings. You do not like red, don't. yellow, and blue. Those no, are the primary colors, no. correct? Yes. Okay. And if someone tried to tell me. When, I don't, I don't, in all the weddings I've been to, I don't recall a red, yellow, blue. I just don't like any color in particular. Okay. Like I don't want I don't I don't understand why why is society telling me I have to have wedding colors? Why is that a thing? Oh yeah, I guess that exists. Okay, that you exists. You know, the colors right, of the wedding. Right, right, right. The colors are coral and blue. <laughs> the colors are, you know, red and black. Right, you know, right, right. I don't You don't need that, that. I need to be put into that box. Okay. You know. And so now you're who are you fighting back against? Here's your wedding planner. Is it is no somebody's one's fighting parent? me on this? Okay. No one is fighting me on this. You know, I don't think they would dare fight me on this. <laughs> you feel so passionate about it. I am very passionate about this. So what do you? So then, what are you doing? If you're, it's, there's just whatever. We're going to have all kinds of color. We're not going to. Have well, much I can't color. reveal the details. Oh, you know, you're right. You're right. God, that was a worse question than the yeah. Oprah question. But I will say, I like textures. Oh, more than so. Colors. There's the hint. There's yeah, like a there's deep a, tease. A That's a great hint. tease for yeah. the A block. And I'm obsessed with the royal wedding too. Oh, really? Yeah. So you were up early or whatever, three in the morning oh, watching yeah. that. 
all the way. Was yeah. your fiance watching? Oh no. Okay, good. But I DVR'd it, so he saw it later. I, you know, skipped hey, all go the back important here and points. take a look. Look yeah. at Megan's dress. Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> so I asked about the opining element. What is the ideal job for you? Let's say five years from now. And I realize it's like a job interview question, oh, but gosh. I'm legitimately curious because to me, it's like I had a, I had an, an anchor job in New York, SNY, mm-hmm. and I accepted it. And then after a couple of weeks, I was like, you know, what? I just don't want to do it because I feel like it was a path to really? ESPN. Yeah. Uh, so you backed out after a couple weeks? Uh, no, I accepted it, then went up there to look at places. And mm-hmm. as you know, coming from L.A., how different the dollar carries right. you in L.A. and New York City. You saw, you, you saw oh, where you'd be living God. and you said, I'm going 800 back home. square feet. See, I'll say this weird stuff. 800 square feet, one bedroom. Uh, it was going to be in Midtown, so it wasn't even like a cool area. And it was 4500 a month. Uh yeah, I mean, that's what it was. You know, I mean, obviously, my mortgage in St. Louis on a you know, home, it's, you know, not that. So, and it's just rent. It's just right. gone. And that's what you got to do. And so then I called the dude back. Well, first of all, I called my agent. And he went nuts because he had gotten <laughs> me a job in Denver for a national show, Fox Sports Baseball Across America, the year before. And I never accepted it, mm. but I turned it down. And he's like, well, you're never going to leave St. Louis. And I said, no, I'll leave St. Louis. I just don't feel good about this one. Yeah. So then he gets me New York. I audition. I get it. And then he, two weeks later, after I went up there and looked at places, I said, I'm not going to take it. He goes, he starts screaming at me, you know. He goes, do you realize every one of my clients would cut off their left hand to go to New York, <laughs> and you're going to turn it down to do AM radio in St. Louis? He goes, I don't, even, I don't believe I'm hearing this. He goes, you're calling him uh, to tell him you're not taking it. And I go, all right, I'll call him. So I call him and tell him I'm not going to take it. But I felt like it was taking me on the path to ESPN. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure plenty of people go, why wouldn't you want to go to ESPN? That just isn't what I wanted to do. Right. First, I don't think there's as much money in it as people think there is. Now, maybe for like the Chris Berman and Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermans, there was, but not now. So I didn't want to do that. But for you, I feel like those kinds of opportunities will certainly be there. But what are you looking to do, especially if cable news at this point is kind of in the, at least at this moment, opinion mm-hmm. business or at least latent opinion business? Uh, you know, I don't know that I would take away from anything that I'm doing now, but I would love to get into some non-traditional media. Now, what does that mean? That sounds know, like a thing that a millennial would say, and then a guy like me would go, yeah, media, exactly. avocado toast. No, <laughs> I, <laughs> I think that, um, you know, a lot of times people will come up to me and they'll be like, Oh, no, yeah, I never watch local news. And they're usually my age. Right. And, you know, I just feel like we need to fix that. And if they're not watching us on Channel 4 or, you know, on their TV set, maybe mm-hmm. maybe we start something that's digital-based. Or, um, you know, I would just love to get involved in something that's not necessarily traditional news, but I'm not talking entertainment or opinion. You know, I'm saying there is just so much, there are so many stories to be told and I just think that maybe another platform might be something we should explore. Interesting. You know, so, like I was just in Branson on Friday, the horrible duck boat tragedy yeah, that yeah. happened. 17 people got killed. You know, um, we were there. I was there to field anchor our five, six and ten from out there. And, um, you know, just the people you talk with, you want to tell so many of their stories and you just don't have the time to do the it. time, yeah. you know. You're limited in local. I mean, even us sitting here on this podcast, 
we're not looking at the clock. You know, there's no. no and there's I told, no by the way, we're well ear. over an hour. I told you we go well over an hour. I really? mean, well, we're like an hour twenty at this point. You're too easy to talk to. Is that right? Look you at are. that. Thank That's you so much. Very bad thing because I might end up saying something I don't want to say. <laughs> no, you've you've come close a couple times. I noticed you redirect and I didn't call you on it. Right. <laughs> it, was, it was sharp. I, I recognized it. Uh, all right, so I, I've kept you for an hour and twenty minutes. I'm usually when I'm talking to people who are from St. Louis or Missouri, mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, I'm not really that interested. But as somebody who's from Los Angeles and of course spent time in Israel. When you're going out in St. Louis or going out to eat in St. Louis, where do you and your fiance, where do you guys like to go? Do you have spots that you're like, we can't wait to go here? What, what do we have okay. going on here? Because I'm, I'm curious where you are. I'll talk about pizza. All right. Everybody likes pizza. Okay. Are you going to bash St. Louis style pizza? Are you comfortable enough to do that? I'm not going to do that. But you don't like it. I don't understand it. That's so good. Right there. That was so good. Because you didn't say I, I don't, don't like it, but saying I don't understand it makes it look, you know, I'm open to it, but I just don't <laughs> grasp it, even though we both know what you meant. You know what we love? <laughs> we love Rockinelli's. So that's a New York style pizza. I like that too. Is great pizza. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to say that there's bad pizza. I'm just going to say that there's <laughs> there one that I prefer. Pizzas you don't understand. And pizzas you don't <laughs> understand. So what, what kind of pizza is in LA? In LA? Just everything? Because I mean, New York, that is what you get. Like if you walk into a, right. a pizza place off the street, that's exactly, you're going to get a slice like Rockinelli's. LA has everything. Yeah. Our favorite place uh, back in LA is this place called BJ's Brew House. And they do sort of, I guess you would consider it like a Detroit style pizza. It's like a pan pizza that has a crispy crust. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's not a Chicago style because it's Where not it's covered in that thick, thick the toppings and the sauce on layer. Top of it. Right, 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 right. So, so Racanelli's. What about other restaurants outside? Oh gosh. Of... Um. Well, my favorite restaurant downtown just announced they're closing. Oh, the uh, the uh, Pirano pa- pasta. pasta. Yeah, just yesterday. Oh my gosh, I'm devastated. Gerard Crafts place. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm I'm pretty L.A. in terms of my eating style. I like to eat healthy and. You know, I don't really eat. I love St. Louis barbecue. It's delicious, but I just can't have barbecue more than like twice a year. <laughs> I, I just is, I can't. Is that, are you monitoring caloric intake? I just is don't that what eat it's about? a lot of like red meat. I don't eat pork all the time. You know, I'm just really, I'm kind of a healthy eater. So you don't hit the White Castle that's down by oh, Camelot. No. no. <laughs> Dougal occasionally hit it. He says. Oh, he doesn't Dougal bring anything, anything back for you. <laughs> Doug <Dougal> eats anything. <laughs> Um, he's lucky if he's got a lean cuisine. <laughs> <laughs> that is true, actually. Yeah. What do you, think? you anchor when Doug does those those rants. I sometimes okay. My newest thing with the rants is I will try to infiltrate his subject matter. So I'll tell him it's too cold in the newsroom. You should do a rant about how there are offices all over the country. Oh, you're trying to produce his rant. Right. <laughs> I want my opinion to come through Doug because I can't express opinion like we've talked about. <laughs> my bro- You know, my brother's a salesperson. You probably, why would you know that my brother's a salesperson? And my brother is the one who sold that. I believe it's to Appliance Discounters, who's a sponsor on our radio show, um, which then led to Doug's rants. So I believe really? it's whatever it's called, Doug Unplugged. That's what it is. And it's brought to you by the appliance discount. So this is your fault. This is my fault, <laughs> yes, because he goes on these rants on our show. Right. And then they heard it, and they're like, oh, we love that. And then they brought it to TV. You yeah, know? I think it works. I think people oh, it love does. it. People do love it. Those but you things... know what? That's exactly what I was telling you about, like, just thinking outside the box. I think millennials love that stuff. Mm-hmm. Millennials love real. We can tell when something is fake. I agree with you. can that. tell it when it's contrived. Mm-hmm. We want more real. Yeah. And I think that's why the podcast, the Netflix stuff, because then it's on demand and then right. it is detailed. Do you listen to podcasts? What podcast do. do you listen to? What, what do you not want to say? Because then there it would is... kind of give a behind the, the curtains thing. Okay. The first podcast that got me addicted to podcasts was Serial. I've heard that's great. I haven't listened the to it, but I've heard it. The first season about Adnan Syed. 
Uh, was that his name? I think it was. Yeah, the kid, he was accused of murder. I haven't listened to it, but I hear it's incredible. incredible it's kind of like Making of a Murder or whatever that was on, right, Netflix, on Netflix, but on but on a podcast. Right. What about uh, hardcore history? I could see you really liking that. I was actually going to say Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's very Someone interesting. Similar. There you go. Yeah, or Undisclosed. That's another good one. Um, you know, I actually miss being stuck in L.A. traffic because I used to listen to a listen lot of podcasts. podcasts. Yeah. yeah. So what do you have now, like a five-minute commute? Literally, really? like a five-minute commute. Do you yeah. live downtown? I'm not going to tell you where I live. Oh, my gosh. But now you've narrowed it down. Thank you very much. Well, I mean, you said it. <laughs> five-minute commute. You but agree. I'm moving right now, so I won't tell of course, you where there I'm moving that's, so. that's another good redirect. You're, stay, you're staying downtown, and we both know. <laughs> no, actually, legitimately. You're legitimately I'm moving. moving. Yeah. All right. Courtney, I have kept you so long. I've enjoyed the hell out of it. I knew I would, though. I, I, I really, know. it's an odd thing, because I was telling Nick, I'm, I'm, I'm like this, this, this lady. I guess that's the term. This yeah. lady. Okay. It, At least you didn't call me a kid. Yeah. I, well, I would, I would never say that. But if I say this woman, I think that sounds wrong. This lady yeah. is going to be. You're going to do whatever you want to do, and it's Thank a great you. thing. And it's also encouraging that you clearly, you're quite intelligent, and not just going, oh well, they're going to pay me whatever over here, and so I'll go and <laughs> act like I love this right. political view or I'll love this political view and just cash my check. It sounds like that would drive you up the wall if you had to do that for a career. Like you'd feel like that'd be like a total sellout beneath you. Yeah, move, I just don't think that's what I want in life. Yeah. You're going to no. be the next Courtney Bryant. I'm going to be the best Courtney Bryant I can be <laughs> until next year when I'll be Courtney McFarlane. <laughs> <laughs> That's when it changes. Courtney, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. All right. So there she is, Courtney Bryant. Now, maybe I will be wrong, but I say with with the essentially 100% certainty, this is an interview that you'll go back here in a couple of years and go, oh, yeah, she was in St. Louis. Yeah, that's Courtney Bryant. I see her on name whichever network or whatever that she's doing and go, yeah, she got her start and say that's how people are going to talk. That's how people are going to talk. I'm telling you this. Um, and, and and it's just it, it, you just you see the talent. But but I hope that over the course of the interview, you got a sense for just how intelligent she is and also um, that the broadcasting uh, business, which oftentimes, which candidly can nauseate me, especially television news and uh, the manipulation of the public to fit whichever agenda will uh, lend itself to the selective perception bubble that exists in 2018, uh, that, that it's in good hands with someone like her who uh, has zero interest in, in playing that game. And listen, I got to be honest with you, because I think she's going to make millions of dollars. I wouldn't blame her if she wanted to play that play that game. Uh, I get it. I, I, sometimes I look at what's going on in sports media, and you know, it's kind of like we Doug and I'll do the, the the hot take guy on the Ryan Kelly morning after, and just go, okay, uh, we'll start yelling like you know, name whatever cable show or radio show, or they just start yelling, and you know, probably don't really mean it or know better, but they know it's going to rile people up and it's going to get them numbers, which is going to lead to them getting dollars. You go, man, you know, might be nice to have a place out in Southern California or have a place in Jupiter and just completely, you know, abandon uh, attempting anyway, to be honest with the audience. Uh, and maybe in 20 years I'll go, ah, I should have done that. But I don't know. I want to I want to play the system that I believe in. And if I'm going to lose, I want to lose knowing that I played my game. So I respect uh, Courtney a great deal. Um, and I, and I don't think it was insincere when she said, oh, that's, it's just, isn't that sad that that's, that's what people would have to think is that you, you do get to a point where you go to one of the networks, uh, specifically a cable news network and go, okay, now I have to, 
Now I have to dance to whatever song they're playing, so to speak, with regard to politics. Uh, that was encouraging. And not to say that I thought that she would, but that she's ahead of the the curve in the sense saying, yeah, I'm not interested in doing that. That's just not where, that's not what I want to do. And it sounds like she's even interested in perhaps going beyond the scope of, of the news side, perhaps with production or her own kind of show. Um, so I, I enjoyed that conversation a great deal. It, it, it actually, I had great expectations for it. Uh, and it, it surpassed it because I think it came away from it going, wow, I already thought she was incredibly talented doing this thing that I did, uh, for a part of my life, but, uh, that she's even more intelligent than I you can gather, uh, that she's very bright just in, in the presentation, but, um, even more so in, in having a conversation, uh, with her in person. And then also, uh, has a grasp, I think, on the business of the business and isn't just going to go, yeah, whenever my contract's up, whoever throws the biggest amount of money at me, uh, that's where I'm going to go. I don't care what city it's in or anything like that. Uh, and that's that's encouraging because, candidly, I mean, you know, I can, I can, I'll speak specifically to, you know, I guess I'm in sports. I don't know. I don't even know if I'm in sports. I don't know what I'm doing. But uh, I, I look at, you know, some of the stuff that goes on and whether it's a hot LeBron take or it's, you know, politicizing a sports issue because you know it's going to resonate with whichever audience is yours, conservative or liberal. Uh, it, it, it's just, it's disappointing, it, honestly, because then I'm like, I don't even know what I can can watch or listen to because I know it's going to be skewed to fit the, whatever message needs to, to, to pass through the bubble for that particular day. So, I don't know. It, it, it made me feel better about the whole thing. Um in the sense that I think she really wants to do something that she thinks is right and maybe it might not make her the most money. So uh, I think that's a career that uh, we will be following here in St. Louis as uh, as time goes on. So Courtney Bryant of KMOV, our guest presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies here this week on the Tim McKernan Show from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. As always, thank you to our sponsors Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Thank you to Ryan Kelly and thehomeloanexpert.com. Thank you to James Carlton of the James Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency. And thank you to Johnny Landoff, Chevrolet at I-270 and the Washington Elizabeth Exit, or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at landoff.com. You can pre-qualified right now at landoff.com. It's where my wife got her car recently. It's where we're going to be getting our cars from now on, landoff.com, or, of course, the dealership at I-270 in Washington Elizabeth Johnny Landoff, Chevrolet. Thank you to Iggy for all of his work on the podcast. Thank you to Courtney Bryant for her time. And thank you to you, the listeners, for continuing to listen and support the Tim McKernan Show here on the Inside STL Podcast Network.